It's been such a joy to, uh, to focus for these past eight weeks. <laughs> Someone came up to me this morning and says, are we still in the Elijah story? And I said, yeah, we are. We are, and we're going to stay in the Elijah story until you get it right. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But what this has been about has been a, a pilgrimage, a journey, um, now beyond our bodies to our souls. And, and, and it's, it's pressed us because we've learned in the, in the midst of the story of Elijah that, that much of Scripture is, uh, is prescriptive. It's telling us how to live. But there's a significant portion of Scripture that is descriptive. It's not saying do what this person did. It's saying learn from what this person did. And, and, and I don't make the same mistakes. And, and so we've looked at, with, a, with a critical eye at this, this amazingly important figure in Scripture, this figure of Elijah. And today we, we finish our, our last part of the series and replenish. Why do we finish it? Because we have to. Next, I can't believe this, but next Sunday is the first Sunday of, of Advent, that season where we look now to the coming of Christ, to our world and, and especially, again, then to his second coming. Advent has, is a double entendre. It means both his first coming, but then also the fact that he's coming again. And how do we live in light of the fact that Christ is coming again? So we're going to do that this year through, um, through uh, Mary's story, and in particular through Mary's song. Um, and and tradition has called that song the Magnificat. And, and, it, and the name comes from the first thing that she says. She says, my soul, there it is, my soul magnifies the Lord, or my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. So after spending these eight weeks trying to, to grow healthy souls, remembering that God loves our bodies, he loves our souls, and he loves our spirits, and, and trying to grow healthy souls, now we have this opportunity to turn that, that soul toward the Lord and to magnify the Lord with our souls. I hope you'll be a part of that. It reminds me that I forgot an announcement earlier. You see our naked tree out there in the uh, foyer? Somebody put a pitiful sign on it that says, help me, right? <laughs> help me. Um, this afternoon, isn't this crazy? This afternoon, before Thanksgiving, we, we took a, a lesson from Walmart. And, and, and we're, this afternoon, we're, we're decorating our sanctuary and, and our foyer for the holy season, for, for Advent. And if, if God would allow, well, we do need lots of help. And, and if, if you're able to come down, what is the timing on that? Is that 2.30? There it is. Uh, at 2.30 uh, to come down and, and help us. Um, it's quite a job as we transform uh, the sanctuary into, um, into the Magnificat, into the place where, where our souls can magnify God. If you'd like to help us, please come down. Uh, oftentimes people will bring sodas or finger food or something like that, and, and we'll, just, uh, we'll just grunt it out for, for a few hours. I, I have to tell you that I had a preview of of some of the decorations, and, um, and we have this blessed team of people here and, and individuals who design our, our um, sanctuary, and, and you're going to be blessed when you see it. But if you are able to come down, come join us, and uh, we'll, we'll, um, we'll transform the sanctuary uh, to, uh, to the Christmas season and, and look forward with that. I'd like to invite you now to one more time, I promise, one more time to come back with me to First Kings. And again, this time we're going to go back to the place that we began eight weeks ago, to the middle of the story, 1 Kings chapter 19. Would you turn in, in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19? 
If you don't have your Bible with you uh, today, there's probably a pew Bible somewhere nearby. It looks a lot like that. And uh, there are black, large print pew Bibles, but if you have a maroon one, 1 Kings in the Old Testament is on page 301. 1 Kings 19 is on 300, page 301 of that. And, and what I'd like to do is just um, is, is tell the story one more time and then just look for reflections this last day of our series. What, what, what do we learn in looking back on this story again from this amazing man, Elijah? Follow along with me, would you, as I... Um, as I read uh, 1 Kings 19, 1 through 18. Now Ahab had told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. This is immediately following the contest with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, by this time tomorrow, this lady went to the school of making threats and she, she was first in her class. Wow. Wow. She's putting herself on a time schedule. I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow. And look at this. This great man of God appeared with Jesus in, in the Mount of Transfiguration. Then he was afraid. Elijah was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, 120 miles away, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Beersheba is, is, is one country away now in Judah rather than Israel, and, and Beersheba is the last outpost in Judah. He left his servant there. We saw eight weeks ago that, that he had no intention of coming back. He left his servant there, and he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness came and sat down under a broom tree, which is really a big shrub. And he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank, and look at this, and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb the Mount of God, the same place where Moses had had his amazing encounter with Yahweh. Verse 9, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, again, uh, that should slap us each time we see behold. It's like God saying, look, 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 look here. And look, while he was in that cave, the word of the Lord came to him. And, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Wow. He asked him, and I believe he asked us, that powerful question. What are you doing here? And Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. God said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And look, look, the Lord passed by. 
The Lord passed by. The Lord showed up. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Literally, a thin silence. And when Elijah heard that thin silence, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance to the cave. And look, behold, there came a voice to him and said, I'm expecting some new revelation right here, right? What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The word for word, what he said before. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Literally, go back the way you came. Go back the way you came. And when you arrive to Damascus, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Just a reminder, God is telling him to anoint his enemy's king. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. So not just anointing your enemy's king, but also anointing a new king over Israel. Keep in mind that Ahab is is still ruling in Israel. And anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah. And you shall anoint to be your prophet in your place. You shall anoint to replace him. And the one who escapes the sword of Hazael shall shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. But know this, Elisha. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed, to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is the very word of the Lord. No glory to you, God. I pray that on this last day of looking at this passage, that you would again open our hearts and minds. And and Father, I'm I'm going to step out in a couple ways. I just need your Holy Spirit to go before us. Thank you for your word that it both prescribes and describes. But God, help us to see ourselves. Help us to put ourselves in this story. Help us to hear you say, Behold, behold, look. God, grant us eyes to see ourselves as you see us. Courage, God, to respond to your voice. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, God, would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I shared with you many years ago that um, my family has the, um, the tradition of um, climbing and naming mountains. Um, there's, this, there's this idea called first ascents, and if you, if you ascend a mountain, you get to name it. And so uh, I, I think it actually began with uh, Mount Chelsea in Ventura. Uh, it's, a, it's a little two trees mountain there, and, uh, and when Chelsea was about a month and a half, she was, we went up Mount Chelsea and, and staked a stake in the ground and said, I declare this land for Chelsea. 
and, and, uh, and, and, and began a tradition not far away in Agoura, California. There was another one of those mountains. Does this ever happen to you where, where uh, a mountain just speaks to you? Am I the only one that that happens? It says, climb me, climb me. And I, I mean, I lived in Seattle, and you get you know, about three days a year, Mount Rainier comes out, and it says, climb me, right? And I'm thinking, I'll kill myself if I climb on that mountain. But in Agoura, there was, there was um, Mount Karen, and, and, and so we, we climbed it. I shared with you that, that we did it the hard way. We just, we just grunted our bushwhacked our way up the hill, got to the top, and saw that there was a freeway all the way up the mountain, all the way back down. But I remember, yeah, anybody relate? The story of my life, right? Um, but I remember standing up there on Mount Karen. I have no idea what the real name of that mountain is, but it's Mount Karen does. And looking down and, and just being struck, and you've had this experience, I know you have, either from an airplane or from a high peak, where you look down and far away, and the, the freeways in Los Angeles are a madhouse, just a madhouse, and you see all these little ants just screaming down the road, and you're sitting up there on top of the mountain going, why do they bother themselves so much, right? The perspective difference is huge, right? It's huge. And I just remember thinking, wow. Wow, I know this in my mind, but I'm experiencing here on Mount Karen, I'm experiencing in my heart that, that this is not how God intended me to live. He didn't want me to be this little busy ant running around all the time. He wanted me to be able to reflect and see his hand in my life and, and live my life out of God's provision. I want to invite you just for a couple moments at the end of our series here to, to stand. Remember what God did? He brought Elijah back. I mean, it was a long journey, right? Probably 47, 48-day journey to the very place where God had revealed his law to Moses, where God had passed by Moses, where, where, where Moses had this amazing experience of spending 40 days in the presence of the living God. God brought Elijah to that place and, and, and invited him to recalibrate. And so I want to invite you for a second to come to the mountain of God with me for a second and say, when, when we're standing on that mountain, what, looking back now on our study of Elijah, what reflections, what leftovers do we have? And honestly, there could be 20 or 30 powerful ones here, but, but three or four struck me as, as really important. And I, I just want to ask you to walk with me for a second as I reflect back on the Elijah story. First of all, um, in 1 Kings 19.3, when Jezebel, and, and eight weeks ago, we said this is astounding that after facing down Ahab, after facing down 850 prophets of Baal, after facing down the false worship of his culture, and doing it, doing it powerfully with integrity, then this one woman says, boo, and his life falls apart. Now, she was a formidable woman. Don't misunderstand me. But it doesn't make sense. Something, something happened in Elijah's life. And the clue to what happened there is in 1 Kings 19.3. It said, then he was afraid. Then he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life. Looking back now from the mountain, looking back on this amazing story of this man of God, it just reminds us again that fear is the enemy of faith. Isn't it? That, that those two cannot coexist together. Because, because fear says, I don't think that God has this. 
And there are plenty of things in our lives to be afraid of. Larry shared just the glory to God, his provision God made for him. But that was pretty scary three months. That was, that was a, I mean, losing your source of income. Some of you are facing amazing physical challenges. Some of you are facing amazing emotional ones, relational challenges. And, and it would be so easy to be afraid of them, to give in to, to this human nature that says, this is, this is too much for me. I, I'm going to run like Elijah did. I'm just going to run. But the same God who was there beside the brook Carice providing for him food from the ravens, the same God that did that miracle of, of providing for the widow and her son uh, a flower and oil, the same God who, when tragedy struck that widow, raised her son from the dead, that same God is, is, is your God. He's providing for you as well. And, and each of us comes to this Elijah experience where we have to say, what am I going to give into? Am I going to give into greater fear or am I going to give into greater faith? And standing on the mountain with Elijah, the testimony of God's word is saying, give into faith. Give in to faith. Let your trust in God guide you through this physical, this emotional, this spiritual trial. And thought about that verse, he was afraid and arose and ran for, for his life, ran for his life. Might have been more accurately to say he ran from his life. And maybe you've been doing that too. But God gave you that life. And God entrusted to you that life. And God has a divine appointment. Looky there. Behold. He's there in that life as well. Don't run from your life. Run to God in the midst of life. The second thing I note from, from this larger perspective, looking back now at eight weeks of this story, is that false perceptions played such an important part of this. False perceptions can lead to fear. False perceptions can lead to foolishness. Foolishness. 1 Kings 19.4 says, so, so Elijah himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die. He asked that he might die saying, it's enough now, Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. What was, what was the false perception there? There's probably being many, but, but it's, it's telling there, isn't it? Um, the, false, the false perception, not that he said I'm no better than my ancestors, but that he must have thought that. And, and let's make no mistake, there's not any one of us who's any better than anyone else, right? Some of you have courageously broke the chains of, of, of a generational sin that have come down the family tree to you. And praise God that you've made courageous choices. You have changed the destiny of your children. You've changed the destiny of, of your grandchildren third and fourth generation. No, we know more than that, right? A thousand generations. According to Exodus 20, we'll be blessed as a result of your courageous choices. But let's make no mistake, it's not because we're any better than the people that have gone before. Amen? We're no better. And, and, and 
what this reveals is that Elijah thought that maybe just by living better, by more obedience, by more works, that somehow I can, I can prove myself I'm not like them. Guess what? I'm exactly like them. I'm a, I'm a sinner in need of grace. I'm smiling because my grandmother's great fear was that we would look, um, that we would look back in our family history, and that was long before Ancestry.com, and that, that we would discover that there were horse thieves in our family's background. No, I'm, I'm, I'm making fun of it. I shouldn't because a horse would be like a car, right? And, and, and I understand that, but she was so afraid that her reputation might be, might be smeared by something in her past. Guess what? We, we have no reputation apart from the fact that we're beloved of God. That is our reputation, that he loved us so much that while we were yet horse thieves, he died for us, right? He died for us. He didn't, he didn't wait for us to get our act together. He met us and died for us in the midst of that. So Elijah had this false perception. But I want to bust it out even further. I said to you earlier, false perceptions can lead to, fool, uh, to fear or foolishness, this desire to die, to end it, to stop the pain. But, but look at how these false perceptions break out. False perceptions about ourselves. Not only did he think that he might be better than his ancestors, but, but look when he says, it's enough now, Lord, take away my life. I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. Like somehow, if you're just zealous and jealous enough for God that you will earn his favor. Here's the reality. Elijah was zealous and jealous, but he, he wasn't confident in his identity in God. I don't think that God needs zealous and jealous people. I think God wants people who will love him with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. What am I quoting right there? The great commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's totally unfair. I'm hanging completely in the breeze on this. But I wonder if Elijah didn't Love the Lord with all his mind and his strength, but not his heart and his soul. That's why we spent these eight weeks. And God, we want to give you all of us, not just our intellect, not just our works. We want to give you all of us, our heart and soul and mind and strength. False perceptions about ourselves. There's false perceptions about others in here, too. Go back. When you get a chance, go back and look at the story again. Because in, in his rant, excuse me, in, in Elijah's rant, he says, For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, plural. Keep in mind that there's supposed to be one altar in all of Israel and Judah at that time, that one in Jerusalem. So, so Elijah's ranting about them throwing down an altars when in fact those altars were not God's intention in the first place. They've killed your prophets by the sword, and I, even I alone am left, and they seek my life. The people of Israel seek my life as well. Where am I going with this? He had all kinds of false perceptions about the way that the world was, the way the people of Israel were responding. He was blaming others for, for probably the perceptions born out of his fear. 
And so he had false perceptions about others. And how many times has that happened to you? How many times have you, in your mind, had a whole federal case made up against someone who wronged you only to discover that you were missing one itty bitty little piece of information that changed everything? Right? That changed everything. Um, we have to be very careful about false perceptions about ourselves, but we've got to be very, very careful about false perceptions of others as well. The Apostle Paul understood this. He said, our struggle is not against people, right? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, against the powers, right? Spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's not about people. People are not the enemy. They're not even, yes, the one that hurt you so bad. Hurting people hurt people. People are not the enemy. Evil and the evil one are the enemy. So, so he had false perceptions about himself, but also about others. And, and, and the reality was it was ultimately a false perception about God and what God could do with one man or one woman surrendered to him. In, in, in verse 10, the second half of verse 10, he says, I, even I alone, am left do you, think, do you think that God is faithful? Do you? do you? Do you think that there's ever a time when God says, ooh, that one crossed the line and, and now, uh, now I'm not going to be faithful to you? No, there's actually a verse in Timothy. I'm sorry I didn't look it up for you, but I believe it's in 1 Timothy 2. He says, you know, if we, if we reject God, he will reject us, but he cannot abandon us because he's in us. And he will never leave us or forsake us. So uh, the false perception about God is that he's not able to complete the thing that began. He began this adventure with Elijah. He gently took him, first baby steps, uh, uh, living out the Christ life in his own home. Remember that? Uh, by, his, by his own house. And then, and then after a year, taking him to a more challenging environment in Jezebel's backyard. He was growing Elijah's trust in him. And then ultimately to the, to the contest on Mount Carmel. This, this amazing, amazing step of faith for Elijah. God was growing him. He was discipling him. And, and, and do you think all of a sudden the God says, Ooh, I'm going to pull back now. I'm going to stop this work that I began. No. No. As Paul would say, he's faithful to complete that which he has begun in us. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for just a second. Remember when they had this crisis of faith? Remember that? The, uh, basically, Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going I'm to put you to death unless you worship my idol. Stories recorded for us in Daniel chapter 3. Um, they, responded, they responded to this challenge. In, in chapter 3, we, we, uh, Nebuchadnezzar says, But if you do not worship this idol, you shall immediately be cast into a fiery burning fur, uh, furnace. And who is the God? Listen to this. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this is true, our God, if this is so, in other words, if you throw us in the furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Will you say that? Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Will you say that one more time? Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. From the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. I love that statement of faith, but you know what's coming, don't you? They said right after that, but if not, but if in his sovereign 
plan, he can receive more glory and there might be a greater good for my death. They said, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you set up. It wasn't about the flames. For them, it was about faithfulness, about God's faithfulness. So how do you know? How do you know if your perceptions are correct? You know, we've got to have something greater than just our own judgment, don't we? And praise God, we do. You need an absolute standard, something objective against which you can test all your assumptions, that you can, that you can test your conceptions. You need the Word of God. That's why it's so important. It's so important to be honest with yourself. What do you believe about the Word of God? What do you believe about it? You know what I believe? I believe it's the unique absolute authority over everything having to do with life. And, and God has given it to you so that you can check yourself. So when someone says, me or anybody else says something, I challenge you on several fronts about the story of Elijah. Go back to his word. Wrestle with it. Wrestle with it. God's given you this amazing gift that you can always know what his will is. I laughed. I thought about you, Chad, because Chad works in IT. And, and if you have a networking solution, I'm not sure that God's word speaks to it. How do I get this guy's computer? Not, but it speaks to everything having to do with life and faith. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Oh, I invite you to trust it. So, wow, we've learned together that that fear is the enemy of faith, right? We've learned together that false perceptions can, can lead you to fear or foolishness. There's no judgment or condemnation for the foolishness. We've all been foolish. Like, like Judas, sometimes our foolishness can, can short-circuit the grace of God. Don't do that, beloved. Don't do that. Turn to faith instead. Why? Because... I think the upshot of the story of Elijah is that you and I worship a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and 70 times seven chances, right? Look at Elijah's life. He, did he have the right answer when God says, what, what are you doing here? No, and God revealed his glory to him and and. And then put him in that silence where he could hear his voice again. And then gave him a second chance. And, and if I understand it correctly, he failed the second chance. And God didn't say, okay, you're toast, buddy. I'm done with you. He actually put him back in the game. He put him back in the game. He said, okay. I'm, I'm, this is Dave now. I'm, I'm interpreting here. But check, check me. Go back to the story. I want... I'm not done with you, Elijah. I've got an amazing purpose for your life from this point forward. Don't take yourself out of the game. But if you insist on taking yourself out of the game, here's what I need you to do. I'm going to give you a chance to anoint Hazael. I'm going to give you a chance to anoint Jehu, even though Ahab is ruling right now. And I'm going to ask you to pour your life into a disciple who will carry on the work that you're unwilling to carry on. 
here's the deal, you guys. I don't think he did. The best I can tell, Elijah never anointed Hazael. He never anointed Jehu. Elisha would commission him in 2 Kings chapter 8 through 10. But Elijah did not do that. And, and yeah, yeah. Can I borrow your jacket for a second? People are a little touchy after my throwing rocks last week. Um, so, and this is a heavy jacket, so this could wound somebody. Um, Elijah didn't anoint Elisha. He did have a jacket that, that was a symbol. Um, this is a symbol of a, a, a lead guitarist in a rock and roll band. But for, imagine for a second it's made of camel hair. And, and it is Elijah, Elijah's coat. So, so he goes, and can I borrow you for a second? He goes, he goes to Elisha, the man that God told him, and said, here. That's, that's literally the anointing. That's what he did, right? And Elisha, he gets it. Elisha, like Alex here, is, is very uh, uh, spiritually in tune. He understands completely you're calling me to follow you. Well, and he says, let me go, let me go kiss my, my father and mother goodbye. And, and, and Elisha, takes, Elisha takes back the jacket. and said, what did I do to you? This, guy, this was the reluctant discipler. You think you were bad? This was the ultimate reluctant. Why am I painting such a nasty picture? Because I want to remind you who appeared on the mountain with Moses and Jesus. Elijah. This isn't about your salvation. Your salvation is intimately tied. Thank you so much. Is in, you're hoping you get that back. Huh? Is intimately tied with your faith in Jesus Christ. This is not about your eternity. That's a result of your faith. This is about your experience of the joy of following Christ. This is about your experience of the gospel now, here. And God's looking for people who will say, yes, I'm going I'm to refuse to give in to my fears and I'm going to give in to my faith in you. Mustard seed as it might be, I'm going to give in to my faith. Worship team, would you come on up? I'm going to give in to that faith instead. God is looking for men and women, for students, for children who will say, I'm not perfect, but I, I've worshipped perfection. I have heard the call of God in my life, and to the best of my ability, knowing that I will stump and fall along the way, I offer myself wholly and completely to God. God, make this body, make this soul something that magnifies Jesus Christ. Don't let people see this broken vessel. Let them see Jesus in me. Because what would happen if we had 140 people live out the Christ life, become more like Jesus day by day? <laughs> Thank you for your testimony, Sean. People would say, uh, I don't completely understand it, but I want to be near it. I want to be near you. I want to follow you, Sean and Lisa as you follow Christ. Alex, how many people are looking to you for that? How many people are looking to you? Not about your worthiness, because you're not worthy. You never will be. It's about Christ and his worthiness. Father, thank you so much.
for Elijah that your word is authentic. It tells us the whole story. And I thank you for the myriad Elijahs right here, men and women who are not perfect, who've seen you move powerfully, some miraculously in their lives, but who still have to face down the Jezebels of their life, who still have to face down the culture that's so contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I, I just ask you to strengthen us on the inner person. Fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith and grant us amazing courage to live moment by moment, hour by hour, and day by day into our true identity, into our precious calling as your sons and daughters. God, I pray for those who sense your spirit moving today and and know that they don't have a relationship with you. Or like Elijah, maybe just had a, a physical or a mental a relationship with you and recognize their soul starving to know you. God, I pray that you would grant us amazing courage to say, Jesus, I trust you. I accept the gift of your life in place of mine. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that God raised you from the dead to validate that victory. And I ask you to be Lord in my life this day and forevermore. For those of us on the mountain, God, as we look back on the on the amazing journey that you have sent us on, I pray that you grant us trust not to go back the way we came, to walk in the path that you've laid out before us. We'll give you the glory.